Hi. I don't know if it's just me, but the past week has been extremely difficult. Uh, can I just say the time we are living right now will go down in history? Every time I'm on Instagram, I got bombarded by state-sanctioned ignorance, mass violence, indifferences, apathy. Apathy is probably the worst of all. And continuation of genocidal ethnic cleansing. Ugh, the weather. I don't know where I'm going with this, but the weather has also been weird. I don't know. I like Canada is supposed to be cold, yes, but it got it got cold way too fast. Faster than I expected. It went from twenty something degree to below zero degrees. And and I needed to get antibiotics. Then I realized that the Quebec healthcare is a joke, absolutely horrible, and extremely bureaucratic, unproductive, not helpful, understaffed, and anxiety-inducing. I am a naturally very anxious person, so whenever my plans get disrupted, I I just get agitated. And what else? What else can I rant about? Schoolwork. I mean, it's actually quite surprising that I'm getting used to the grad school workflow. Uh, endless readings, more discussion posts, writing proposals, and being in an automized unit that go to class, talk shit, and then come back home. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one feeling a bit isolating in these kind of routines. I don't know if it's because we live in post-COVID time that everyone is less prone to socialize. You know, I don't know. Maybe I could organize a tea party where people can just have tea and work on our projects one day. Then, but also, winter is coming, so a lot of complex character. Are playing here right now in my life, plus my mom's house condition, which is probably the most stressful event in my life right now. I do consider myself as somewhat opposed to nihilism because I feel like that is such a Western concept of philosophy, but there are times in a year where you are just so beat. I can't think of anything to motivate myself. In fact, I feel like it would be very unethical for myself to be motivated in such a stressful time. I feel this very unique moral and emotional affective obligation to feel frustrated and disappointed, which is pretty sad. You know, I've broken up with a lot of friends that I had in undergrad, which is. Fine. I don't really. I don't really need them in my life. They're okay. They're okay with genocides being done and the salvation of Western interests in Sudan, Congo, and Palestine. But it does frustrate you. So I guess, whatever. In this podcast, I want to talk about how we should deal with pain in times like this. One one thing I've learned from the past three years. Is running away from pain or trying to hide your scars, 
but then it's not gonna work. It's gonna end up use like these tactics are gonna be useless. You have to talk about it. I've been so conditioned to feel shameful about being emotional, cause even though I'm a very like I'm naturally very emotional, since ever since I was a kid, but this is the time where I think individualism truly shows its true color. You would hear narratives like, "Oh, you're feeling fatigued uh, from Instagram. Just log off and have a good weekend," you know. But uh, not everyone can afford that. But then, even if you decide to tackle collective pain, your approach has to be critical. So I read this really good reading today. It's about uh, an indigenous critique. Uh, about the epistemologies of crises and how crises are always described in presentist, like present time terms, as if they exist in a vacuum called present day with no historical connections and no way they're tied to system, systems of oppression whatsoever, which is a really good and valid critique. Uh, this paper that paper specifically talks about the environmentalism in the West and how the prioritization of a very specific type of environmentalism done by white people that usually they throw indigenous knowledge, indigenous epistemologies off the bus because, you know, indigenous justice can wait, racial justice can wait, class inequality can wait because this is what we're fighting for now in the present time, the most urgent, you know, urgent emergencies that came out of nowhere. <laughs> um, I think this is really, it does reflect of what we're seeing right now. This is very anecdotal with what we're witnessing right now. We're seeing a handful of stupid people who rounds the world politics and policy makings they're the ones deciding what's important and what's not. When clearly, these policies do not align themselves with socioeconomic and socio-political realities. Look at, look at the UN right now. Look at Canada. All of these neoliberal institutions who only enjoy terms like liberty, decolonization, and equality in most abstract metaphors... Yeah, I don't know. I try to not talk about these too much because it makes me profoundly sad and angry, enraged, and helpless at the same time of witnessing such atrocities happen and while people argue on the internet if it's, like, justifiable. This is such a painful experience to go through. And it's truly a painful time to be alive right now. I mean that, like, personally... I, I will not be lying. Like, I will be lying to you if I were to tell you that, like, my mom's health condition is not affecting me. Uh, it, it's funny cause, because I remember when I was a kid, no matter how sick I was from a flu or I was having a fever, my mom would demand me to go to school no matter how sick I was. Even if I missed 
like the classes in the morning because like I need to stay in the hospital. She would want me to be in school in the afternoon so I don't miss out too much. Well, it was very fucked up because <laughs> I needed rest when I was having a fever. But in my mom's perspective, nothing, absolutely nothing overpowers the necessity of going to school. And I've always tried to make myself a good student and go as high as possible in terms of like education level. To be honest, I didn't really want to do grad school. My mom loved the idea of me being in grad school, of me pursuing a career that signifies some kind of stability. I can't blame her. And I think a big reason why my mom expects me to just be in school forever is that she didn't get to finish her college degree. And the expected duty um, you know, for Chinese women back then is to start a family and have kids, preferably boys, and in the time of like one-child policy, preferably one boy. No one really asked. No one asked if she was ready to have kids, and no one asked her how she felt about having to give up college for families. You know, it must be a big commitment and a big change in her life. Like I remember when I was a kid, I would go to her workplace because there would be no, like there was no one in, at home, and someone has to parent me, so. I have these very vague memories where her colleagues in the workplace would give her side eyes because, like, a mom with a kid in a workplace, you know, is a very one of those like stigma things. Like, ugh. and she had to take care of her job and me while making sure that the school prog like school progress is in check. That I'm like, you know, I'm like. As smart as my peers, sort of that thing. Um, I didn't miss a single day of school in my life, ever. Well, not ever, until university. Um, even though I'm like always late to class, but I don't really, I don't really skip them unless it's absolutely necessary. I felt immense amount of guilt of not going to classes. It's like I've betrayed my mother about a non-existent commitment that I'll be good and I'll stay in school. I have very complicated feelings about my mother. Like every gay child with their moms. Obviously, this is not something universal. I can't speak for everyone. But almost always, mothers of gay men hold some kind of Profound complexities that are impossible to analyze in a binary way. I love my mom so much, but that doesn't exclude my resentment. There were so many summers. There were so many summers that I've spent in tutoring agencies uh, to, you know, in improve my grades in math and physics, so I might get a better seat. You know, I might get a better seat at the table. For high school entrance exams, and I was just—it was like prison cell for me in these like agencies where I stay for like hours and hours just studying. Um, it was exhausting, and I was deeply unhappy.
But my mom said, oh, well, it was all necessary. And I don't really remember what happened in middle school, at least not consecutively. They're all small pieces of memories um, that might or might not have happened. But before university, I've never had a summer where I can go wherever I want or just do whatever I want. I've never had a summer where I can go travel and go to the beach with friends. School was my only objective. It was my only mission. And I wanted to be exceptional so bad. I wanted to be the kid who are good with exams, who are good with grades so their parents are proud of them. But that never happened to me. <laughs> you know, whenever I suck, I suck. But whenever I actually did well in some exams, they are just expected. So I did put a lot of pressure on myself in terms of school. I still do. I have this immense guilt of not being productive in terms of schoolwork. I want to be seen as an exceptional student who knows everything and can talk about anything, even though that's literally impossible. I guess I've just never thought that compulsively learning like learning continuously is a protective mechanism. I don't want people to look down on me because I don't know, like I I have to be brutally honest. School has always been kind of a mechanic to me until university. But surprisingly, I don't find grad school boring. Like I actually get a lot of exposure to a lot of interesting thinkers. Uh contemporary theorists and scholarships in interesting topics. Um, yeah, but I still have this tendency to resent the idea of me taking a break as if taking a break would make me an embarrassment. You know, it would make me a living example that I'm incompetent. But it's hard. It's hard to tell these harsh voices in my head to shut up because I know... They're, they're not entirely true, I know that. But sometimes I just feel so isolated. It's like a type of pain that chronically haunts me and reminds me of my loneliness and my obsessive compulsive disorder. I understand that I do most things compulsively as much as, as, much I, as much as I have the ability to distinguish what's healthy and what's not. I always compulsively choose the last healthy option, the last healthy coping mechanism. Me and my mom were always physically close uh, until university. University changed everything, guys. Um, but we've always been emotionally distanced, always. Her indifference, her annoyance, her constant anxiety that eventually passed out on me, but also her unconditional support financially when it comes to school-related things, her cooking skills, her fashion sense. She would not stop worrying about like worrying about what I eat, and she's so worried that I might get gout. This is such like a repetitive topic. Honestly, I'm also scared of being sick. I can't afford being sick, you know, like... I was sick so many times when I was a kid, and I did not like the feeling at all. 
But, you know, like, there is a difference of you trying to make yourself healthier than your mom telling you to do so. And, honestly, it's stressing me out that there are so many instances where she would point out, the, like, the most minor things in my diet and what I should not, what I should, what should not eat. And it's just, like, anxiety-inducing. Also, uh, being queer does not also does not help the relationships at all. <laughs> um, so today, we had a seminar about death-bound subjects in relation to black folks living in the United States. But I cannot, but I cannot help but think of my mother, who's constantly worried about dying, dying of liver issue, dying of her ineffective stomach indigestions um fear of dying over tumor dying over anxiety just this constant fear of proximity to death you know death in Chinese culture it's so taboo like it's something you're forbidden to say basically um, but paradoxically, it is an everlasting fear. We're all trying our best to live. My mom sure did try her best to get a college degree, you know, trying to have her own job to eventually give it up the job, like to give up the job for me. It's actually very interesting that the concept of sacrifice is always intricately, intricately linked to death of like sacrificing yourself. The act of sacrificing yourself, like sacrificing yourself, sacrificing time for someone else, is like devoting your own life. Um, it could be an exchange of something, which is going to be a conditional contract. But this kind of sacrifice can be mistakenly reduced to love. But love is so much more complex than that. So much more multi-layered. And this kind of misunderstanding of sacrifice as love or sacrificing yourself, improving your love, it can be so suffocating. Yeah, I'm doing this podcast just to remember a time, which is now, that, it, that is extremely hard for me. I can't go on Instagram because then I'll see people who are trying to obscure a genocide. And whenever I go to class, I feel this profound sense of disassociation from reality and how the pain underneath my calm face is actually devastating and how I don't want to do chores. I want to order takeouts, but doesn't have enough money to do so. I stopped at Miguel Metro today to look at someone's artwork and this person told me that I look medium rich and probably can afford his painting for 50 bucks. That left me in anguish. Who, uh, there's something wrong with today. Like the star is wrong or something. I think my <clears throat> primitive brain cannot take such immense amount of pain. But that doesn't mean I'm looking away from it. You know? Because I don't have the answer to anything. Even if I saw it, I do. Because humans are a lot more 
rhizomatic <laughs>、uh, than you think. And, you know, what they believe and how they act and what they say are all shaped by very specific contexts that they grew up in or are being actively shaped by. So, yeah, this episode doesn't really address any specific issue or any films, even though I've watched、uh, a lot of decent films recently.、Uh, it's kind of like scattered around everywhere. We just live in a very painful time. And without the help of an interdependent community, from an interdependent community, it could be extremely isolating and difficult. And I can't think of an answer for that or like a solution. But yeah, well, this is the end of this episode.、Um, I hope, I genuinely hope that I'll feel better the time I do my next episode. But yeah, we will see. Bye.